sometimes when people start like a business or something with something they love to do and they do it all the time and so much like sometimes like they don't like doing it anymore but like I like doing it even more yeah so I think now it's like I'm doing something I love but there's a purpose to it Hello, and welcome to the Founder Shares podcast, brought to you by Hutchison, a law firm in Raleigh, North Carolina, that helps founders and entrepreneurs in technology and life science companies start up, operate, get funded, and exit. So whether you're already an entrepreneur or want to be one someday, or are just fascinated by the stories of how a business goes from idea to success, or not such a success, this podcast is for you. So today we have something a little bit different here for the Founder Shares podcast, and I'm personally very excited for this episode. You know, usually on the podcast, we talk to founders about the businesses they started and kind of where they started along their career paths. And today we're going to try to take a look at it from the other side, starting with somebody who's super young, hasn't really started a full-fledged business yet, but is really just kind of on the edge of an entrepreneurial uh, journey. So I'm happy today to have on my very own daughter. Tierney Schmidt, welcome to the Founder Shares podcast. Thank you for having me. So tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself. Well, hi, my name is Tierney. Um, I'm a 15-year-old entrepreneur, um, and I'm also homeschooled and in my sophomore year of high school. Um, so yeah, I mean, when I'm not crocheting or doing school, I also do a lot of dance. So I dance in my dance studio for like eight to 10 hours a week. So I'm there pretty much all the time. And then when I'm not at dance, I'm crocheting. So I love it. You, you introduce yourself a, as an entrepreneur. So like, when did you first start to think of yourself as, as an entrepreneur? Well, I mean, since a young age. So like when my mom, when I was little, my sister was in preschool, like me and my mom would do these craft fairs at my sister's preschool. And I would always like sell these like baked goods at my sister's craft fair and all these things. So it's like, I've been just kind of in a business mindset since a young age and like, I don't know. Making money's always been kind of fun for me to do. and Well, so that's an interesting question. Is that what I, like drew you to it? Is this the chance to make money? Did you like the, the making part of it? What was it that drew you to being an entrepreneur? I mean, the money part was nice, I guess, because like I, my parents' allowance, I guess, didn't probably contribute enough to like my <laughs> everyday purchases that I would want to make. But so I was like, oh, I need to find a fun, maybe more creative way. And I'm, I guess, in that when I, that, when I was that young, I was only six years old. So I really didn't like wasn't definitely not old enough to get a job or anything. So it was definitely like a way I could use my creative skills to, I guess, I don't know, make money. But I think my younger self, like $15 that I would make at one of those craft fairs would like seem like such a crazy, like big amount. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I look back on it, it seems like you really liked the control, I guess, of, of having your own money. And then if you wanted something, you could buy it, but it mm -hmm. wasn't always, you've always done a good job of not spending money just because you had it. You'd mm -hmm. save for goals and those types of things. And so I've always wondered whether the money was what motivated you or, or whether it was the chance to to kind of make something and have other people excited about it. Yeah, I think it was like a little bit of a mix of both though. Cause like I, it's always fun to see people like excited about, I guess a product that you're selling or whatever. And also be like excited, like, oh, I wanted this or whatever. Or, and then they're like, just so happy or whatever. Like when they like see the thing that you've gotten like that, they got from your business or whatever and stuff like that or people bring it up to you like oh I saw you do this or whatever and that's always fun um but yeah I guess it's also a mix of then having money I guess and I'm always thinking like of the future so I guess having like money saved up for like bigger purchases sure near in the future so, so, so you mentioned kind of almost like bake sales that you would do for your at your sister's craft fair or something like that what, what are some other early businesses that you 
you did or, or ways that you tried to make money? Um, so when I was five years old, one of my friends got me a rainbow loom kit for my birthday. Actually, two of the friends got me rainbow loom kits for my birthday. And so that, like, I think immediately that night, me and my dad were up YouTube, like researching YouTube videos on like figuring out how to do this, like rainbow loom sort of stuff. And so I spent hours and hours and hours and hours doing all this rainbow loom stuff. And I was like, who knows? People might want to buy it. So one day I like sat up like a little like stand in our driveway and I was selling these rainbow loom things and I like made some money. So I was like, oh my gosh, like things I can make, it can actually become profitable. This is the thing too that always got to me is like your perseverance and your desire to do it probably even in spite of your parents' hesitation. Because I remember that one. So like, how old do you think you were when you did that? Um, I was probably like seven-ish. You came to us and you're like, hey, dad, mom, I want to set up a, a booth at the end of the driveway to sell our rainbow loom creations. And we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, those would be nice, man. <laughs> but like, despite kind of our hesitations, or our reservations, you're like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And people are going to buy it. And so my memory of that is like, we put you out at the end of the driveway and we go away because I think we're probably just honestly a little mortified at like what's going to happen and how you're going to feel at the end of it. We come back after two hours and you're like, hey, I've got like $15 that people bought this stuff. So despite our reservations, you seem to find a way to to get people interested in it. That's why I don't like have to like, even if my parents are discouraging and not really discouraging, but like not as like, I guess, thinking it's going to be successful. I have to keep persisting and pushing through. So I mean, I was probably out there for probably four hours or so, but like, I guess it was still every sale, like made me keep wanting to stay out there. So it was always fun. Well, I think that's important. I mean, because even for the other founders that we talked to, this idea of perseverance in, in the face of people saying no or investors saying no or people not liking, I mean, there's this this knack of being able to believe in yourself, believe in what you're trying to do, take people's advice, but still know when you can just push ahead anyway. So what else? Uh, so Rainbow Looms, Bake Sales, and I, I know you've got a couple of other ventures that you did. Um, I mean, like lemonade stands are definitely a very big part of like my entrepreneurship. God bless our neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, lots of lemonade stands, either with friends or by myself or with my sister. Um, yeah, I did lots of lemonade stands, made good money off of that. Tell us about the restaurant, because this was one of my favorite ones. Oh, um, so when I was younger, I was like really into cooking and I was like, oh, I would, my dream was to own this restaurant called Dysalata. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to like um, start this restaurant. So I was like, I better start young or whatever. So like I saved up my money and I went to the grocery store and I bought all the groceries for all the dishes. And so then I came home and with a little bit of help from my dad, I cooked up things and I made all these menus out of like paper and ever and hours spent in my room, like hand drawing all these menus. And then like with prices, definitely. But um, and I was gonna say because that was the thing is not only that you wanted to do this, you wanted to, you wanted like almost a dry run for your restaurant. So you're like, yeah. Mom and Dad, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna have a date. I'm gonna be your restaurant. I'm gonna be your cook, um, and you're gonna pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> like in our own house. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's gonna be great. So I'm gonna pay for the groceries. So technically, I'm gonna make a profit. You, you did. So you you legit like came up with the menu, made menus which, with prices next to them. Um, went out and bought the groceries, uh, cooked. There was a little assistance because you were actually frying homemade tortilla chips, if I recall yep, correctly. I made homemade tortilla chips and all that stuff. So Yeah, and, and ended up, I believe, making a profit. Yep, I did. I think it was like probably before inflation, all that craziness. So when <laughs> I was like probably seven years, seven or eight years old, like I think it was like $20 for all the groceries. And then I, I think I made $36 like at the restaurant 
thing. So yeah, definitely made a profit. <laughs> so do you feel like you learned anything from these early kind of like early businesses that you did? Anything that kind of stuck stuck with you that you think about still today? Um, I guess like, I mean, when I was little, like the rainbow loom things, like I, I believe that product would sell and like, I believe people would want to buy it. So I think it was just like knowing that people would actually be interested in purchasing. So I guess like trial and error, like I only sold rainbow loom items once and it was only like a one time thing, but it was definitely like, I guess it was like learning on what things people are interested in purchasing. And I guess like also practicing, like being a salesperson has definitely like influenced like being able to run the business I'm currently running. So. Well, I mean, that's interesting because like the, the whole being a salesperson, I mean, in my view, you've always been a very outgoing person, which is so foreign to me because like I'm, I'm closet introvert, you know, happy to stay that way. But like to see you kind of be able to go out and talk to anybody, how does that kind of translate into business for you? And, and kind of as you set up these business, how does that help you? Or how do you think about that? Well, I think like being a confident person I or more outgoing like I am, um, I think it's like people are more excited or I guess interested to like hear what I have to talk about because like if you're more of a nervous person or never and like you're too nervous to talk to people, then people aren't going to be as interested in like buying your product because like if you're not going to be like brave enough or like confident enough to like talk about your business or whatever or like explain like what your product is and like why you're doing this, then like people aren't going to be as interested in supporting like the business or whatever if you're not like super confident and like outgoing with your business. Yeah. So, I mean, they respond to your confidence. They respond to your ability to kind of tell them about it and get them excited about it for sure. Mm -hmm. Now I know you spent a lot of time kind of in Girl Scouts and did a lot with kind of Girl Scout cookie sales. How do you think about that kind of as it's impacted your, your businesses and your ability to think about things business mindedly? Well, I think like definitely like since I've been doing Girl Scouts since first or second grade, like I have had the saleswoman experience from a young age and I guess like being confident and like advertising for these cookies. And like, even though like with Girl Scout cookies, like people are already gonna want to buy them because like they've been around for a long time. So everyone already knows what Girl Scout cookies are and whatever and are interested in buying them. So it's definitely like, it was helpful, I guess, to like practice um, selling a product. Like even if it's a product people are already want to buy and already know about, it's still good to like, I guess, talk about it and like have a way of, I guess practicing that like in-person businessing marketing skills. Yeah, well, and I see that a lot too. Because again, going back to my comfort level versus your comfort level, I just was always impressed with your ability to just walk up to anybody. Hey, want some Girl Scout cookies? Or I would no? sing to Great. them and like have. A, I made up a rap of Girl Scout cookie song, and I would like sing it at the door of Harris Teeter, and everyone would be like either really scared and run away, or like think it was humorous and like followed me to the stand. But you know, hundred yeah. percent. I mean, that's I think in a lot of respects that's what marketing is, right? You got to throw something out there that's attracting people. Yeah, makes people look whether they decide to come that way or not. You've got eyes on you. You got some attention. But I also think that the Girl Scout cookie sales. Talk to me a little bit about like kind of goal setting because I feel like that influenced you in a certain way as well. Yeah. So like um, to get a, like a, one of these Girl Scout patches, it was like register like a goal on like the Girl Scout cookie app. So like usually our goal would probably be like 200 boxes like each, me and my sister, because like we had to share the amount of cookies we sold. So if we each sold 200 boxes, then that was 400, co- like 400 boxes of cookies or whatever. Um, so we usually set a goal on the line just to either get that patch and whatever. My mom would usually do that, but 
it would be, we could write like a sign on our, I like write it on our Ghost Cookie sign and just be like, oh yeah, help reach our goal or whatever. And I think like setting a goal, like help us have like a realistic mindset, I guess, or depending on how much the goal was <laughs> unrealistic. Um, and I guess like to set your expectations, like, I guess low if with a lower goal. And then if you exceed your goal, then it's like a exciting, like joy goal. Sure. Sure. So, yeah. So you talked about how, you know, the, the sales part or the interpersonal part was always easy for you and you were very outgoing and confident. What, what's something that has been kind of hard for you in these early kind of businesses that you had? Um, early, probably cause like with the business, like with the rainbow loom or whatever, like it was just in our neighborhood. So like, I think people support my business, like in the neighborhood, just cause they like felt bad for me, I guess, <laughs> or like they were just being nice, nice neighbors to just support like this young girl's business. So I think it was just like, when I was younger, I didn't, it wasn't very like commercial, I guess. So like it didn't reach very many people. And like, I was too young to be advertising on social media or like, um, and like an Etsy shop was not necessary for <laughs> such right. little items. But um, I had an experience where I went into like a brick and mortar store where they sold little craft things. And I think it was my sister um, started sharing with the owner of this market. And she was like, she's like, oh my gosh, yeah, my sister sells these scrunchies. Cause that was my current business at the time. I sold all these scrunchies during when all the, that was really popular <laughs> when they had all come back. And I think it was like 20, 19, 2018 or whatever. Um, and so the lady was like, oh, well, maybe you should send me some pictures of your products or whatever. And I can see if I can get you like a little shelf in our store. So then I sent her these pictures of my um, scrunchies or whatever. And like, it makes it into the store. And so then for about a year, I sold my scrunchies at the store and she would send me like my monthly paycheck or whatever. Um, and yeah, and I think that was like the first time, like, I guess like my businesses ever went like more, not more commercial per se, but well, sure. It wasn't, it wasn't limited to your, your neighborhood anymore. Or people that you knew you were actually selling to complete strangers at that point. What, what do you remember the name of the store? Um, it was the artisans market. Oh yeah. It was ours. The artisans market. market. So, yeah. yeah. So Go they do a great job of kind of like <laughs> promoting local artisans and mm -hmm. kind of including them within their store. So it was a great opportunity again for you at a very young age to get some experience of having to create enough inventory to kind of keep the, the store full and kind mm -hmm. of making sure that you planned ahead for your supplies and those types of things. And yeah. And like trying to make profit off of like also having to buy the supplies and all the things. Cause I bought all the supplies myself and then I had to make it all and it would take hours and hours and hours and on the sewing machine. But yeah, it was super fun. And I really enjoyed like having that entrepreneur like in brick and mortar store. Yeah. It was, it was it's always super exciting. Cause I, I still remember like, we would be downtown and we'd swing in and like, oh, oh that's my stuff. This is your guy. stuff. How cool is that? You have stuff in a store. Mm -hmm. So so now I understand you're in a whole new venture. Yes. Yes. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. So currently I am running a small business called Crochet Alada. You guys can follow me on Instagram. <laughs> Plug my Instagram. So you say Crochet Alada? Crochet Alada. So it's spelled crochet and then Alada. So it's just, it's spelled just how it sounds. And yeah, so you guys can go follow me. Also have an Etsy shop. You can follow me there too. <laughs> so what is Crochet Alada? So Crochet Alada sells um, like and crochet items. So currently I'm working on beanies for a upcoming launch. So to guess get a little sneak peek there because I haven't announced. I was gonna say for the people who are yet. just listening at home, you can't really see it, but I'm currently crocheting. She is actively <laughs> filling supply for her business while yeah. we do this podcast. So, so I'm working on beanies that I'm gonna launch at a in-person market that I'm doing and I might put them on my Etsy shop too, depending on how long they take me. But 
Currently, I'm selling crochet items. So I don't know if you guys can, if you're watching, you can see, but. I was going to say, check out the social because we've got pictures of some of the, yeah, the animals so, that she created. So tell us about them. I have like mini, I do a lot of like animal type things. They're called animagroomy or whatever. And it's like um, little just creatures. And so I have up here on the little stand, I have a little mini turtle, a mini sunflower turtle. My dinosaurs are super popular. I have like decor pumpkins for fall. Um, and then like, the reason why I'm on the podcast today, a little <laughs> insider. So this is this is where the truth comes out here. The reality, folks, is you can apparently bribe me to get onto this podcast because so, uh, yeah. again, in some respects, I, I think of you in some ways as a, as a consummate mar marketer <laughs> for your age, always looking for that opportunity to kind of promote your business and get it out there. So, so you came a to bit me of bribing. You, you did. You you came to me. She's like, "What do I have to do to get on your podcast? When are you going to interview me on my on your podcast?" And I was like, "I don't know." Uh, here's here's the deal. Make me a hippo, and then we can talk about it. <laughs> so I crocheted him this hippo. It's up here. It lives on his desk now in our house. But yeah, so I'll I tell you. Legit, hippo. two days later, I had a hippo on my desk, and she's like, "All right, let's book an episode." And it's been three months, and I'm finally on the podcast. <laughs> three so. months is a little bit of a stretch now. Let's mm, not let's not exaggerate. Trying to make himself it. look good, <laughs> but it's true. Uh, my getting her on the podcast was longer than it took her to make the hippo. But his excuse was like, "Oh, we already have a guest for the month." So. <laughs> Yeah. So. <laughs> you know. Um, but so, what, tell us, when did you first start to crochet? So, I've been crocheting since I was seven years old. And so, I I guess I was a little bit self-taught in a way. I mean, like, I thought I was always super cool to learn how to crochet. So, I think I had gotten some supplies somewhere. And then there was, like, this knitting group at our church. And, like, it was just a bunch of ladies. They were all probably in their 60s or whatever. And, like seven-year-old me would be dropped off on like Thursday mornings at our our church, and like this lady, these ladies would like talk to me and all these things, and like they taught me a lot of how to crochet, like basic like single crochet and double crochet and triple crochet and stuff like that. So it's definitely like I learned from them, but I was a little bit self-taught in a way, and like currently like learning how to do all the things I can do to like make these little crochet animals and stuff. I've done a lot of YouTube videos and online searching. So I'm a pretty self-taught crochet person, but I've definitely had like help from in-person people as well as YouTube videos. So. Yeah, it was it was great because it really was kind of a little old lady's knitting circle. <laughs> and, and then seven-year-old me. In Pop's tyranny. Yeah. <laughs> and they gave her cookies and some uh, instructions on crocheting and knitting at the time. And, yeah. you know, here she is today. Um, so like, I, again, you, t you talk about kind of self-taught. So like if you wanted to learn how to make something new today, What's your first step? What, what do you go to kind of figure it out? Um, so usually most of my patterns are not original. I only have one original pattern. So I mostly just like search on YouTube for patterns and stuff because they're usually just free. And like with YouTube videos, it's like they show you each step like in a video by hand. So it's like super helpful to be able to just like watch like the person do it and you can like copy it along. But like there's lots of great books out there. And also like having someone like literally sit down with you and like show you how to crochet is like, always super helpful because like you can like see what they're actually doing with their hands and stuff. So that's also super helpful, but like YouTube's a great resource, use the internet, but <laughs> yeah. So you touched on it a little bit, but what, what would you say is the hardest part about learning to crochet? Um, personally for me, it was like learning how to hold like the yarn and like have enough tension, like with the yarn and stuff, because like, if you're just like flopping your yarn like this or whatever, and like not holding on to it, like it's going to be really hard to like consistently grab the yarn without like it getting frustrating. So it's like, it's like holding the yarn. So it's like enough tension. So your stitches are all like the, not tight or not too loose or whatever. So it's, I think it was like 
the tension of holding the yarn. And then mm -hmm. I guess like learning stitches wasn't as hard. I think it, for me, it was probably just like learning how to like hold the yarn or whatever and how to hold the hooks. So it was like the best way to continue. So if somebody was just thinking about, hey, you know, the crocheting sounds like fun. What's the first thing that they should do? Well, you probably need to buy the supplies to learn how to crochet. It does so. help to have a, a crochet <laughs> hook and some yarn. Yes. So yeah, I guess like find yourself a YouTube video. There's lots of good YouTube videos out there or on my Instagram right now, I'm currently working on some how to crochet videos. So if you want to go check that out, I have videos of what supplies you're going to need, like, and then how to first start. I have another one of those videos, which I need to film still, but <laughs> I, it'll be out hopefully by the end of the week. Um, and that's just like walks you through all the steps you need to start learning how to crochet. Um, but if you want like a more in-depth video, definitely go on YouTube um, because like there's so many incredible videos and resources and like lots of different other people who like this is again what they do for their like actual job. So like there's so many great resources. So now when there. you first started to crochet, were you thinking about starting a business or kind of when did it go from just something you did for fun to, oh, you know, maybe I'll, I'll start a business about this? Um, so like from about seven to probably from like seven to 15, I um, just crocheted like scarves and stuff. And I didn't know how to do like any of the stitches to like make the little crochet animals. Mm -hmm. um, so I just did single crochets and double crochets, which are like just the simple stitches and really only make straight lines and stuff. And so I, that year when I learned how to crochet, I made scarves for literally all my family members um, and stuff for Christmas presents. So, I mean, really just probably in January, I was, I was bored. And I, so I went on out school, which is like a really good resource since I am homeschooled. I don't have any like clubs or anything I could do at school. So I went on out school and I was like, Oh, look at this video. It's like a, how to crochet this little bumblebee. And so like that, like in-person class, like taught me how to do like the magic ring, which is like how you start all the anagrumi um, creatures and stuff. So like that, so that one video kind of like jump started, like, Oh, my crocheting again. Cause like I hadn't crocheted in many, many years. Um, just cause of like, I was busy and I didn't know what else to like crochet. So that video kind of definitely jump started my love for crochet again. And I haven't stopped since, but <laughs> yeah. So I think it was just like, and then I was like, Oh, this is cute. And my mom's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. This like, it could definitely like work as something. And I have always wanted to do a craft fair and start an Etsy shop and all that stuff. So I researched for months and months and months and applied to so many different craft shows. It got so many no's. And then like, I finally got a yes um, for a craft show. And yeah, then I did my first craft show. And so it's kind of started business from there. Yeah. So what was the first craft show that you did? So um, it was a craft show through Echo. Yeah. Shout out to Echo. Oh, yeah. They were and on our, the podcast our, too. Our former guest, Jerome <laughs> yeah. and his team. So yeah. So they had a children's business fair since they have one of their programs, I think is helping young children start entrepreneurship or whatever. And so, yeah. So I applied to the business fair and yeah, it was so fun. It was right during Centerfest also. So it was like, perfect timing for that. So yeah, I had super fun there and I made my first profit and I was like, wow, this is actually like a profitable thing. So I thought I was just going to do like one craft share show and be done with it. But yeah. So, so, so tell us a little bit about the craft fair. So what did you have to do to kind of prep for that? That was different than anything you'd done at the, up to that point. So pretty much up to that point, I had just been making inventory and stuff. And then I also had to like practice setting up like my, my displays and stuff so that I would like look good and draw people in and then all that stuff. So I had to like, um, I guess me and my dad built like just some display shelves and things to like put on the craft fair table and all that stuff. So, well, and when you say you built inventory, I mean, 
how many hours are we talking about to kind of get ready for a craft fair? Oh, I don't know. Um, each, so each item, so there's a little turtle up here and that took me probably an hour and a half to two hours. So it's definitely like, and like imagine that like repeated, like I think I had, I don't know, I think it was like 50 or 60 different like crochet animals. So just like did the math there. It's like so many hundreds of hours of like just constant crocheting and like buying supplies and all that stuff. And also like setting up and stuff for like businessy things. Well, talk to us a little bit about kind of like the, because you had some other things that were there. Like you created like a spinning wheel to get people to have a discount. And you thought about business cards because you had business. So like where did kind of these additional steps come into your mind or or what made you kind of go beyond just having a table and, and, and having your animals on the table? Yeah, so um, I've been doing some research on like YouTube and stuff about different like other people who like do this as their jobs or whatever. And I found this one person who like, she literally only does crochet markets. So that's like her main way of like selling her products. Like, she doesn't do any online stuff. So she has like so much different resources and stuff on her YouTube channel and Instagram and stuff about like what need to bring to your market and like all these things, and, like all these things like that have helped her like grow her business in like the seven or eight years she's been doing craft shows and stuff. So yeah, it was definitely like nice to find like some more online people who I can just, even though I don't know them personally, like I, I attribute to them for definitely helping me like start my business or whatever. Cause it definitely all their tips and tricks and stuff that they've posted have been like really beneficial to my success. So it's definitely been really nice having just even like people online who I think I'm friends with in my mind, but not really in person. Well, I mean, I think it's important because they, again, thinking back through some of the other interviews I've had with, with other founders, the importance of having people who have been down the same path before can offer advice, can offer kind of wisdom along that line. You know, it's exactly what you did kind of with with these craft hour people and, and took some ideas and um, not just kind of directly copied them, but you know, made them your own. Mm Mm-hmm. But again, kind of, you touched on this, but it seems there's a difference in my mind between right, let's do a craft fair and see what we can do versus kind of making this into a business. So when did you decide like, hey, this is going to be more than just a one-time show? Um, well, I think like when I added up the numbers or whatever, of like how much money I made at my craft fair, I was like, oh, like this is like awesome. Like I have all this stuff. And so then like I had an Instagram <laughs> like at that time, but I hadn't, I didn't, was not a consistent poster and whatever, but like I've heard a lot of people at the market were saying how like social media and stuff like really helps them, their business grow and get more exposure and all that stuff. So then I began to post more consistently and get more followers and get more account views and stuff, which also like help them like get more orders and stuff. So currently, so when I was doing a craft market, I was only taking orders like through Instagram and stuff. Um, but now like I'm taking orders, like through my Etsy shop and like also I can still take orders through Instagram, but mostly my Etsy shop now. But yeah, I think it was just like realizing that I, I love doing this and like prepping all that stuff was super fun. And yes, I am going to still do craft shows, but I think also like knowing how my schedule is, I think selling online is definitely like more like works better for my schedule sure. than just doing weekend craft sh- shows and stuff like that. Well, I mean, touch on it a little bit, but I feel like there's a lot of things that you had to learn how to do, not only to do the craft fair, but then now you talk about setting up an Etsy shop. So talk a little bit about, like, I guess the thing that comes to my mind is, is like setting up your Stripe account so that you could take credit card payments, kind of talk through figuring out that you needed to do that and the steps that it took to kind of learn what you needed. Yeah. So it's definitely like still with the people, like I was saying, um, who 
the YouTube videos I watched and all the people I did loads and so much research and stuff of like what important things I need to bring. And like this one person suggested like to get like a square chip reader so you can do credit card. And I had never thought, oh, to do credit card. I was like, that's crazy. And so then I had to like go and apparently like small business owners out there, like Square sends you a free card reader when you make an account um, on their website. So I got my like Square card reader and like I had to learn how to set that up. And like I was in our living room, I was like making transactions like with my dad's like credit card and stuff like that. And yeah, and I also had to learn about I had to bring cash or whatever to the craft fair also to have change. And then I also did Venmo. So it's definitely like learning the different payments and things like that. And Right. Because again, like especially kind of on the craft fair scenario, you don't know what people are going to have to be able to buy what you need. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that, that chance that they don't have the right payment option and then they're <laughs> as they're walking through. Losing a sale. That, that's a significant potential loss of sales. So, and, and again, you know, as you were kind of practicing with, the card reader and those types of things, learning, oh, okay, if I take a card payment, that's going to impact my bottom line because I'm mm-hmm. not going to make as much off of, you know. Yeah, because like the card payment like takes, I think, probably a total of 30 cents per transaction. So like if it was only a $10 item that they purchased, like I was only going to make like $9.20 on the item. So it's definitely like a learning experience, like of how to price my items to still make a profit, profit like if they are like going to use card or cash or Venmo or whatever for a payment. Well, and so that brings an interesting question too. You know, you're creating these things, you're putting hours and hours and hours of time into it. How do you go about thinking about pricing them? And what was your process for that? So there was the same, again, the person <laughs> who I learned all my information and stuff about my small business from said that you need to like use how many hours it took you plus the cost um, of your supplies, plus your hourly like crochet, like minimum, like, I guess wage per hour, which I still haven't figured out technically, but like the general idea of like how long it takes me and how much the cost of supplies is usually what I factor into like pricing and stuff. So like, even if my items seem a little bit pricey, like they've taken like the minimum, how long it takes me to do something is an hour to an hour and a half. So it's like, these are definitely like taking a long time. And like, I use like the nice plush yarn. So it definitely is like a more of an expensive yarn mm-hmm. um, just to have the nicer like material, I guess. So I definitely have to like counter in like all of like the pricing and all that stuff. So did you learn anything, I guess, about pricing after the, I mean, did you feel like you set the price as well? Did you feel like you had to adjust it after the the craft fair? Um, Yeah, I think my prices were pretty good. I think like a few of the things I was like, oh yeah, maybe I should make a little bit more expensive or a little bit cheaper or whatever, just to like, I don't know, make them more, people will want to buy them more, I guess. Um, So yeah, I definitely think like my prices were good and I think I definitely like, the research and stuff that I completed um, beforehand definitely like helped like know how much to price things and stuff. So were, you, were you, there any surprises from kind of that craft fair about like how customers responded to you or about how they responded to different animals? Even like, did you expect one to sell more and then it turned out to be something different? T- talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So like another reason, like what I decided, like what I was going to sell or whatever, I would also like look up what other people, also other small business owners, like, what sold best at their markets. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely really helpful to like know like, oh, this person sold this many or of whatever of this item at their market and that sold super well and they made a good profit with that. Um, so yeah, I used a little bit of that, but I also was like, oh, I think this item's cute. And I would also like ask my family members, I'd be like, oh, would you like this item? Would you buy it if you saw it here or whatever? And I'd ask my friends and stuff like what items were their favorite and things like that. So it was definitely like 
a lot of like asking people around like what they would think would be the most popular item or what what they would actually want to purchase themselves. And like my little dinos, which are up here, were my most popular because I had them in all different colors and they were just a nice thing. So I guess everyone liked the dinos. So I'll definitely make, be making them again for my craft fair I have in December. So There you go. Well, I mean, again, seeing those parallels between kind of what you're doing now and kind of what these other startups that we talked to are doing, just market research, talking mm-hmm. to your customers, getting feedback, taking that feedback and kind of adjusting what you're doing and kind of planning going forward. That It all just seems to just line up. You know, mm-hmm. at a different level of what you're doing here. So, all right. So you moved on from the craft fair, and then decided to set up an online presence. So, talk a little bit about about that and how's that's going. Yeah. So I currently um, have an Etsy shop, and I'm also um, on Instagram. So I've been having so much fun. I love making my reels on Instagram and posting there. And I just did my first ever giveaway. So. Yeah, there's so like what was the what was the giveaway? Why'd you do a giveaway? Um, so I had reached a hundred followers, so it doesn't even seem like very much, but um, people like the, my giveaway reel had like almost seven hundred views, and like everyone was looking at other people's giveaways, and like they were all super popular, and like one of the requirements for my giveaway was to follow me, so I would gain followers that way. Um, so yeah, I definitely having a giveaway like gave exposure because people had also tag people in my comment section to be entered to the prize. So it definitely like exposed my business to more people like even though pretty much everyone who entered I knew them personally um but it was definitely like it was nice because they would tag people who didn't know me and I didn't know them and like exposed my business to more people which was nice so talk you say you enjoy kind of the Instagram marketing talk a little bit about it I mean how are you learning to do that are you comfortable with it like what has surprised you or what's been the hardest part about that yeah so I follow a bunch of other like small business accounts um, on Instagram and like the audios they use. I try to use like more trending audios that are popular because then more people are going to view it if it's like popular at that moment. Um, so then I kind of see what other small businesses are posting and like what what reels they post that are getting a lot of views. And like I use some of their ideas, but I like make it again my own. So I'm not copying them, but I'm <laughs> borrowing their ideas in a way. So it's been really fun just like filming reels and like also like sharing my products and stuff like through that. So yeah, that's been. Do you find, do you find that exhausting at all? Or is that just energizing for you? Um, It's a little bit exhausting because it's just like to film a reel. It's like one, you have to then scroll to find an audio, find an audio that will work and then think of an idea that kind of not hasn't been done, but like, I guess is unique to you that you, they would think would get you more views. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely like a little bit tiring and like also not, also you have to edit the whole thing and like, uh, it's just, it's also like having the time to sit down and film a reel and yeah, it's just a little bit of a lot of work. So I try to film a bunch at once when I'm in the mood for it and then <laughs> I can just post them from there. So right. yeah. Well, so talk to us a little bit about the Etsy shop. So wh- where's that at? What's, what's it been like to kind of create that? Cause again, that's a whole nother learning curve that you mm-hmm. have to go through. So talk through that a little bit. Yeah. So like with the Etsy shop. I launched it earlier in October and it was just like posting the listings and that takes so long. Cause I have to like take pictures of all the products and then I have to edit the photos and then I have to post them onto the Etsy shop. And then I have to name the thing and write a description and like all this stuff. So definitely posting the Etsy shop takes a long time. So it's definitely like not one of my favorite tasks of my small <laughs> business owning, but I definitely like it's, I haven't gotten any orders so far in my Etsy because I probably have the best job of like advertising that I do have an Etsy. Right. So I think I need to do better about that. But I think like 
just learning how to post onto Etsy and like advertise it in a way that like people are going to like see your Etsy and like what a purchase from it. So. Well, I mean, and talking about the Etsy shop and kind of selling through Instagram, you, you've entered in a whole nother dynamic to your business because, you know, at a craft fair, somebody comes in, they buy it, you hand it to them, they walk out with it. Yeah. But now you're shipping. So I have to like figure out how much to charge for shipping so that I'm not paying too much for shipping and like the cheapest way to send things is always my goal. Any bad experiences with that so far? Yeah. I sold this one. I, so for a while my shipping was $5 because of like what people were buying, like how much it weighed with that. It was $5 shipping. Um, and then I realized that one package I charged the person $5 shipping and I didn't like go to the post office first and like figure out how much it was actually going to cost. And the shipping was $12. And I was like, <laughs> oh no. I so I can't ask the customer now to send me more money. I was like, oh, because I made a mistake. So then I had to like then pay that shipping so that I made less of a profit than I would have if I had figured out the shipping. So now I weigh out my packages before taking them to the post office. Yeah, so. Again, you know, learning curve. You're, you're, you're paying to learn something at mm -hmm. that point of time, right? Yes. <laughs> so where have you So where have you shipped to now? Um, so I've shipped to Tennessee, North Carolina, obviously, <laughs> um, Colorado. And then I had a package I sent to Hawaii the other day, which was super exciting. Well, this was kind of cool because you did this one on your own too. Tell us a little bit why you shipped one to Hawaii. So there's this one person on Instagram. I've been following her for a while and she reviews small businesses. So I was like, you know, give it a try, you know, send this person a package. And she lives in Hawaii. So I was like, oh, perfect. I can also check that off my sales map of different states that um, my packages have been sent to. And so she reviewed my business and she has almost 3000 followers on Instagram. So a lot more than me. So then all the people who like follow her, like saw the video that she posted to review my business. And then that day that her video got posted, I gained like 20 new followers. So I think like that was like really helpful for my business to like have it be even exposed on other people's accounts. And I've had like other small business owners, like tag me in their posts or whatever and stuff like that, especially at the craft market. But like having someone who again lives in Hawaii and has a bigger following, like, has definitely been like really helpful to expand, I guess, who my business gets known to. So other than these connections kind of online that you've been following and, and learning from, would you say you have any mentors or people like, I don't know, face-to-face -face that have been helping you or, or kind of guiding you on the way or talk about that? Yeah, I guess a little bit because like my mom has a friend um, and she is a social media, like her job before she had kids was literally to like advertise on social media and advertise brand stuff on social media. So I was, she was like, Hey, if you ever want to talk about your business sometime, I'm happy to talk to you. So I was like, great. I'll call her. Just, I guess, see what she wants to talk about. And so she made a lot of tips and stuff on what I should like do and stuff like that. So she's definitely been like, I only, I've only talked once about my business and stuff, but it was like very helpful. Just like a different person who like, that's literally their job is to work with social media and stuff to like have that insight of like, what's, how does it work and giving me tips and tricks on how to use Instagram and how to make it more following. Yeah, well, funny full circle story because actually the reason we have a podcast today was this the same person because I was helping her just record some voiceovers for some marketing that she was doing and she started talking about doing business podcasts and I was like, eh, I really never really thought about this. This was years ago and that kind of germinated the idea and here we are with Founders Shares. So yeah. shout out to Jamie for that. What would you say are some of the challenges that you've, you've faced so far in your business? What's been the hardest thing? Um, I think it's probably been like discouragement and disappointment of like not getting any sales. So like currently it's October, I think 20th today. And like, I haven't gotten any sales this month, but like in September I made, I made so much many sales. So I think it's definitely like not getting discouraged when you're not making sales. Like even though I like started my Etsy shop, I've gotten more followers here on Instagram. Um, so it's definitely like not getting discouraged, like when 
you're not making profit and like making sales and stuff. So definitely like, I don't know, keep posting even if your views aren't getting, even if your reels aren't getting that many views. Well, I mean, that's the thing too, because I think in a lot of ways you're laying the groundwork now for kind of future success. You're going to have to have that shop in place. You're going to have to have kind of followers and marketing in place. And then, you know, sales will come in after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty mature actually to, to have that, that, that viewpoint. So what, what would you say is the most rewarding aspect of what you've been doing so far? I think like making sales, like I love packaging the orders I get so much. They're so fun for me to do. I think it's definitely just like every time I get an order, like even if it's someone I know, I'm just like, oh my gosh, another order I get. Just like growing my business like even more. And like, I think it's just been like really fun. I also just love crocheting. Like I feel like sometimes when people start like a business or something with something they love to do and they do it all the time and so much, like sometimes like they don't like doing it anymore, but like I like doing it even more. And I think like having a business is like, I have a reason to do it. <laughs> so I think it's definitely like beforehand, like I was making scarves to give to people that people are never actually going to wear on my seven-year-old self. But yeah, so I think now it's like, I'm doing something I love, but there's a purpose to it. Yeah, for sure. So talking a little bit, you talk about the purpose, but do you have specific goals for the business or things that you want to accomplish? Yeah. I'm So currently like my goal is to make more consistent sales, like for my business, but I definitely like, my overall goal is to probably make like four figures a month, like with my crochet business. So I definitely think like I was really close to that in September, but October (laughs) looks like it's not going to make it that way. But I think just having more consistent sales, like at least seven, like an average of at least seven sales a week. So even if that's means three sales on Wednesday, but only one on Thursday, like having it average out to about seven sales a week, just to continue it being consistent. And I know like it's going to take a lot more work and stuff like that. And a lot more like exposure, and I think I just need that one viral video to go <laughs> to help get my business out there. And I think, but like doing things like the podcast or like having people review my business is like getting it out there. So sure. I think it just needs to be getting out to more people to like have people be interested in selling. So what is what are some of the other challenges? I mean, because you talk about how labor intensive kind of creating these things are. So what happens when it does blow up and go big and you get an order for like 50 animals or something like that? I mean, do you think about that and kind of the, those challenges? Yeah, I think also because I am such a busy person, I mean, I'm still, I'm a sophomore in high school, so I'm still doing all high school stuff. I'm still trying to have a social life. And I also, I don't do any sports, but I dance all the time. So I think it's also like trying to figure out like, oh, here I can crochet for 20 minutes in between this class and this class and like try to like make sales and stuff that way. But I think like definitely I try to, whenever I'm not have any active sales. So this month I've been really trying to just build inventory and stuff for a Christmas market that I'm doing, but also like in case I like, do get any orders, then I can get it out as soon as possible or whatever. So, but I mean, like if I sit down, I can get an order out pretty quickly mm-hmm. depending on how many items it is. But yeah, so definitely like the time management skills of it. So, yeah, well, and it's good that you say you still enjoy doing it because, like, <laughs> again, when it's all, all that work, all you do have to have that kind of reason for doing it and enjoyment of it. So yeah, that's good. Definitely like. I get, I get some pain in my wrists and stuff now. So I have to like practice like stretching out my wrists and things so that I don't get like arthritis or anything in my I was going to say that's real. You're way too young for carpal tunnel at this point. But you know, know. the dangers of stretch a, out the wrists. <laughs> the dangers of a crochet business. So do you, would you say you have any sort of like business role models, people you look up to and they're like, oh, that would be amazing to be like that person. Yeah. There's this person online and she's, I was, I've talked about her already today, but I'll give her a plug in right now. Um, she's, it's her, I think her Instagram handle is at Cameron's Cute Creations and like she's a crochet business and like all she does is markets, but like she like has all these tips and tricks out there and all these things. And like, 
as a person knew I am crocheting and she's also crocheting. So like knowing that this business can be successful, like with the right like exposure and the right like way of doing it. So I think it's just like, yeah, probably her. And then I guess other small, I'm just, I admire all small business owners who like do this full time. I'm like, wow, I, w- I wish to be you, stuff like that. So. Yeah, for sure. So have you, have people offered advice, unsolicited advice to you? And, and if so, what would you say the best advice you've received so far in connection with your business? Um, let's see. And you don't have to have. I don't know. I haven't like received any like specific advice, but like, I guess me personally, like I tell me to gotta keep going, like whatever, like even if you're not getting any views on your reels or whatever, you just gotta like keep making them because like eventually one day people are gonna see it. So yeah. I don't know. Well, I feel like at the craft fair too, you talk to a lot of the other mm-hmm. people who own stalls there. Anything that they suggested to you or any tips or tricks? Yeah, I mean, like all of them were basically saying like how social media has like really helped them and like just to get the business out there and stuff. So definitely they're just like keep posting on social media and like keep doing all these things. And some people suggested like going live and stuff to like really interact with people. So I haven't done that yet, but it's definitely like there were, it just like gave tips and stuff on like how they had success. So I think it's just like talking to other people and just like learning like what works for them and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess what's next, what do you see coming up for, for crochet a lot Well, crochet a has a, um, <laughs> a like crafter coming up. It's December 5th. Where's that going to be? Um, it's going to be at Kings Park International Church. It's going to be in the morning, middle of the day. So, yeah. But um, I'm releasing things to my Etsy shop. So just like growing Etsy, making more reels. Just keep going. I don't think I'll be doing any more markets this fall, but I'm hoping to do. At, my goal is to do at least like four markets a year. That's going to be my like one every quarter. Okay. Will be my again a goal starting next year. So. We'll see. We'll and then aside from Crochet Alada, any other businesses in mind? I don't know. We'll see. Come on, I need, I need the preview here so we can come back to this I mean, the podcast. No, but, right now it's just crocheting and I'm trying to get through high school. So, you know, <laughs> we'll see. Is high school really? Ne- no, I'm just kidding. I'm your dad. I high mean, school, of course, is necessary. So necessary. Some <laughs> things I'm learning, I'm like, is that really necessary? But <laughs> So um, we are the Founder Shares podcast. And I like to ask all of our guests, you know, if there was one piece of advice that you would share with somebody who's thinking about starting a company, what would that advice be? I mean, my advice would probably be don't get discouraged like when you don't have any sales because I feel like it could be really discouraging. Like this month, I could have like given up like, oh my gosh, and you get a single sale this month and like give up on posting reels, give up on my Etsy shop, give up on like making markets and going to markets and things like that. So I think just something like don't give up. Like even though you're going to have a few off months, you got to just like got to keep pushing through and like eventually you'll get yeses to your business and eventually you'll like go make more sales, but you just got to like, Keep pushing through. So and like, don't give where up. do where do you find that strength? Where do you find that encouragement to kind of keep pushing on? Well, I think I like people, like other people, other small business owners. Like I'm like it worked for them. Like they eventually had success, but even though they probably had a lot of like struggles and like it didn't happen right away, like, it didn't happen overnight. Like there is struggles, but like it worked for them. So I think just like knowing that it is possible, but it's going to be a lot of work, but it is possible to keep going. All right, so now's your chance. So how are our listeners supposed to connect with you? How do they find out about Crochet Alada? Okay, so if you go to my Instagram, you can follow me on at Crochet Alada. It's just crochet and then Alada. Um, and then my Etsy shop is linked in my bio. And then you can also DM me with custom orders. And then I'll be at future markets. So I always advertise them on my social media. So if you want to see me in person at a market... I'll have you advertised on my social media. So. Sounds good. Well, Tierney, I can't wait to see where this goes. Can't see what the next business holds. And uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Founder Shares podcast. If you're a founder or business owner and need legal advice, be sure to check out our team at hutchlaw.com. That's hutchlaw.com. We have the capacity to help you out with just about any legal need your company may be facing. We're passionate about the innovation economy and ready to help you on your entrepreneurial journey. The show was edited and produced by Earfluence. I'm Trevor Schmidt, and thanks for listening to the Founder Shares podcast.